live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Up high, Petrangelo. Right circle, Pacioretty. Max scans the middle. Lefty, top of the circle, out in front, tipped home! Stevenson! Golden Knights take the lead! Chandler Stevenson, the former capital, puts the Knights in front for the first time today! 3-2 Golden Knights! Into the offensive zone. Drop pass and a shot. Glove save! Logan Thompson flashes his mitt for the first time today. And then a nonchalant hit nod. He knows he's in the groove. Dodonov now in the neutral zone. Coming ahead left side. Cutting towards the middle all the way. They score! An incredible overtime goal for Shea Theodore. The Knights win 4-3 in overtime. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill is here too. Here is Silver Sevens on a Thursday. It's our Thursday home. 277 happy hour continues until 6 o'clock. We'll get you updated on what's going on around the NBA, NHL in a couple of minutes. Dangerous Danny is uh, steering the ship here. Let's get to it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. You okay? Have you canceled all of your flights? Uh, no. Masking changed. I've seen a lot of people upset. I've seen a lot of people jubilant. What's your take? Are you going to be okay traveling? You have a lot of you do a lot of traveling, my friend. Especially in the summer, a lot of Mexico trips. A lot of, a lot of yeah. Safest, safest resorts in the world. Well, according to you, last year, last yeah, they were incredibly safe, and now they've kind of thrown everything out the window. Which, listen, we're we're not in a post-pandemic world yet, but we're getting closer to normalcy. We've got most people, especially here, that are going to get vaccinated, vaccinated, and that has helped greatly. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's a huge issue. I don't think it's. I don't think it's crazy uh, that they got rid of it now. I, I think the fact that getting rid of it says to people, "Oh, it's over now." Well, people are still dying every single day. Like I, that has to be kept in mind. But it, it's there's a time when we are to a point in society we have to move on, and we're getting to that point now. We're we're getting to a point where we can be normal, and I think it's it's good. Will it's you wear a thing. mask on airplanes and face the wrath? That that's the silly part because I I yep. love that when early on in this people are like hey if you want to do it you can do it and not not everybody has to and then mock everybody that does it which is crazy. I might for a couple reasons first like I just I just like to kind of disappear on the plane and that was helping. Like, no one no one will speak to you unless yeah. they want to beat you up. But it's also like you can just you can just kind of like well, one. I didn't like for the first time in like forever I didn't get the flu this year. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had really any sickness outside of COVID in the last two years. So like I think it's a pretty clear indication like it works. So I I think I might do it on the plane just like hey you're jammed over there. But first of all it's it's not that much of an inconvenience. It's really not. I, I love the people that are like it's, it's, they're not letting me enjoy life. Like it, it really never really mattered. Like you just wear it and go about your business. I didn't get sick. That was cool. Um. I think I might do it for those reasons, just because you can just not, you don't have to deal with anybody. Nobody will talk to you. They they just kind of pass you by. Flight attendants pass right by. 
people that are sitting next to you don't try to talk to you because you you know you're you're kind of in your own world. I like that aspect of it. It's not like I'm this over the top like got a mask for the rest of your life, but I'm I kind of like the fact that you can just kind of get away from everyone. I, I like that part, and I didn't get sick. Number four in our pre-show meeting. It's extensive. It's long. It's detailed. Uh, you wanted to mention the Niners' options with Debo Samuel. The option is don't trade him and come up with a deal or don't come up with a deal and he's playing for you. That's it. Or he can sit out. Well, he really can't. I mean, they, they the collective bargaining agreement took away that option, right? which kind of sucks. Um, that's why players are trying to flex more power and uh, do this because they the, so you, the so power you, that you, they had you, was taken away. So you protest the off-season workouts. I mean that's that's your option you, you right now. You boycott like like Ryan Tannehill for some reason, which is insane. Like you've got this great contract that you probably, probably I, that was one pay. of the more shocking moves of the offseason. I I I thought he was a goner, and that the Titans would be in the market to upgrade. Well, maybe he is now that he's not showing up. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean I I think the option. Well, you are going to be go. You can you can keep him on the roster as you said. Make him play out the deal. Um, what are you going to get from him? And by the way, if I was him, I'd absolutely, I'd, my hamstring is torn week one, not for real, but Hey, I can't play man. My hamstring hurts. There is zero chance. What, what the Niners are doing to him. Absolutely dirty and disgusting. You mean the way they're using it, the way they're going to use them and kind of wear them out as a runner and a receiver. And then you know what they're going to say. Yep. Sorry. At the end of this year, yeah. if he's used again as a running back and a receiver, yeah. and it's time to get a contract, they're going to be like, and it's not just them, other teams will do it too. Yeah. Your usage was so high, that took two years off your career, there's no way we can sign you to a guaranteed deal. No chance. And you know they're going to do that. So th- you have to you have to make this stand right now if you're Debo. And there are, supposedly there's other teams out there saying, hey, if we trade for you, we'll trade for you, promise not to make you a running back. But I... I think that, I don't think he has a necessarily a problem with doing it. You just have to be paid in advance. You have to pay him in advance if you're going to use him this way. You have to. It's filthy to do that to a player, and you because you know what they do. Running backs they do it all the time. When your when your contract's up at the end of the contract, you're like, "Hey, look, I've been great. Look how good I've been." And they're like, "Yeah, but running backs have such a limited shelf life. No way we can sign you to a big deal. Sorry." So you don't get your money ever. You don't get paid in advance. You don't get paid afterwards, and then they tell you you're worn down. So that's why players are doing this. And if you as a fan don't like it and you just you you think players are just trash that should be thrown away, like I, I guess you don't really like you don't care about them, first of all. That's pretty clear. But players need they need to do this now. They need to get contracts before the they get worn down and are discarded and thrown away and told, "Hey, you're you've had too much wear and tear in your body. We can't pay you now." Get it in advance. Get it up front. And get guaranteed deals. Players need to do this. They need to take this stance. And and I'm sure that you don't like it if, if players that you like, you know, move on because of this. But this has to happen. It has to. Players need to get more benefit of the doubt, and they need to get paid up front because teams are wearing them down than not paying them. Number three. What did you think of the Nets last night? They were in great shape in the first half, and then Kyrie and KD combined to shoot one for a thousand in the second half. <laughs> And they lose again, and now they're down two nothing. Yeah, and they're they're in trouble for sure. I mean, I think people that are you know saying the series is over is a little silly too, 
Um, they more they're more than capable of you know getting back in the series and even potentially winning the series. But uh, last night was not a good sign. Uh, I know, you know, <laughs> Steve Nash took the vast majority of the hits I saw on social media of he has no plan, he can't figure it out. Well, I mean, the plan is we've got two of the best players in the world. Let them shoot and get their shots, and they never were able to make them, and they weren't able to figure out ways to get them free to get easy baskets, and they weren't able to have other guys step up on the team. Th those guys need to play at a very high level. They need to uh, perform much, much better than that if that team's going to win, and you know, I, I think that there is a player sitting out that could help them potentially, but who knows if they're actually going to get anything out of him. So they need those guys to step up and make their shots, and if they shoot the way they did yesterday, they're done. And then there's the very well-coached 76ers. They know where their bread is buttered. And the <laughs> players just simply execute Embiid. Oh, boy. Tobias Harris, what a team player. That got Mike Missanelli on uh, the Fanatic in Philly just going crazy. This is what people don't understand about what an MVP is. He designs a play to free up the 7-2 center to get a clean look at a three because that's who he trusted at the time. And it was the right call. And everybody did their job. I give a lot of credit to Tobias Harris. That screen, that freedom, it, it, it went off like clockwork. Good basketball. Textbook screen, Tobias Harris. Beautiful job. First of all, did you see the play they ran at the end of regulation? It, it's, I, I don't know what the... I don't know what the plan was. I don't know what they were trying to do. I don't know what they were trying to design. They dribbled for like 15 seconds and then threw to Embiid for a fadeaway from like 35 feet. There was no rhyme or reason whatsoever. So good for them designing a play. Uh, Tobias Harris, listen, I've spent the last three weeks watching film on a ton of offensive linemen in the NFL draft. I'm making him a first-round guard for pulling around the edge and laying out a defender. That's not legal. There's nothing even borderline legal about what he did. He took out a defender, the primary defender on Embiid, by pulling around the edge and laying him out. I mean, that's a block, not a – it's a block in the NFL. It's not a screen. It's nothing that's allowed in the NBA. I guess you could just say, well, you can do whatever you want in the last play. It's like a Hail Mary. But why have rules? Why even have rules at this point if they don't apply? You, you, I mean, going back, I wasn't on the show last week much to talk about it. This is the James Harden carry when he took seven steps in between a dribble. And like people were like, oh, it's, it happens all the time. It shouldn't. Let's stop this. If there's a rule, make it a rule. If the, in the offseason, if you want to say there's no more, no more moving screens, fine. But it, in this case, and I don't have a – I could not care less who wins the series. I'd rather have Philly win it. So good, I guess. I, I really couldn't care less who wins. But it's, it's ridiculous. That, first of all, has anybody else even mentioned it? I've heard anybody even talk about it. You just heard the Philly Sports Radio. Yeah, set a good screen. Was, he good laid out a defender and then followed. It was like everybody's talking about the, the Trevor Penning tape when he keeps the block going at the combine like 30 seconds after a whistle as if that's some impressive play. First of all, it's, that's going to get a flag in the NFL. So right. why is that? Why do we look at that a positive? Like that's what he did. He kept the block going after Embiid had already gotten free and got the ball. It was insane that they allowed that to happen. But they never call it, so I guess keep doing it. Number two. VGK wins last night. You get to see the best of both worlds. Knights get two points, and Ovechkin was awesome. What do you think? Well, he was awesome, except 
on his breakaway when he just fumbled it. Um, that was that was the most surprising thing I saw actually last night. Of you, it, it was like everybody in the crowd stood up. Ovechkin gets a breakaway. Everybody's like, "Oh, what's gonna happen here? What move is he? He just lost the puck. That was so so crazy." Um, but when he got another chance, and you could tell he was frustrated and wanted another chance after that, and he got ahead of ahead of the defense, he got the puck and unleashed a bomb. And he did it. You know, he scored two goals yesterday, but uh, that one that just from basically the blue line one on one i'm not going to go to the net i'm just going to fire this and i'm better than you i'm going to score on you one on one from the blue line no screen nobody in between just me against the goalie and i'm going to score and it was awesome and by the way that's that's what he does he scores goals ninth straight year scoring 50 goals uh pretty cool to be you know to see part of history and then after the game uh to hear the guys talk about it and um you know what it was like to kind of play against them Alec Martinez, after the game, talked about Putin's guy. One of the most incredible talents probably of all time. I mean, he's, uh, like LT said, he's okay. Um, no, but, I mean, obviously he's, uh, he's a generational player. What he's done on the ice is, is incredible. The things that he's done to, you know, a guy like that, you know, really grows the game, uh, gets people involved. Uh, people want to, you know, obviously come watch him play and, and honestly, it's just it's an honor to play against them and try to shut them down. I will say if the NHL had the stones of the folks who run Wimbledon, there'd be no Ovi, there'd be no cocaine koozie. They'd be banned. What do you think of this idea? It's not great. No, it's not. It's not great. No. Um, Wimbledon is talking about banning Russian players from the tournament. Uh, Djokovic came out and was like, stop. Yeah. Um, not Russian, but you know, standing up for Russians and Belarusians. Yeah, and and Novak Djokovic, somebody who has, as he talked about, um, he's he's got some pretty wild ideas both ways. I mean, he's a conspiracy theorist for one thing, so um, you never know. But in this case, like he's he's right. Like he came from a war torn region. He came from a place that was decimated by war. Uh, he grew up in war and has seen the horrors of it and understands that part of it. But he also knows. Those things are done by governments. And even I, I saw people, um, I actually saw a couple of players talk about this and saying, hey, look, as long as they come out and say their government sucks, they should be able to play. Well, that's not really fair to them. Um, the, the, a, lot of, a lot of these athletes are in just terrible positions. I, I don't, you know, if you were to come out and say, hey, I love the war, it's great. I mean, that's obviously an awful thing. But I, I don't know that you should even be penalized necessarily for that there's a lot of different disinformation people don't understand everything that's going on um they might not have the full story they might be lied to and, and have some different ideas of what's going on like their political beliefs if you want to cheer against them or think that they should lose or wish that they lose that's fine but to ban them just for being from a place it's not even that they're supporting the war or saying okay hey, this is a good thing or you know openly you know, being critical or assisting the effort, anything like that. Like, this is just, hey, I'm from this place. Not everybody believes in a certain thing. And even if they do, I think it's a really, really slippery slope and a really ugly place to be where you start banning people from playing in a competition uh, just because of where they're from, whether they support that or not. And I, and I don't think that just their support would even be enough to disqualify them from playing in an event. Number one. So, story of the game yesterday, VGK does win, keeps the uh, scant playoff hopes Alive, but Robin Leonard pulled in a 1-1 game. Logan Thompson comes in, gets the job done. They get to do points. Uh, after the game, 
talked about what the process was and when he found out he was going in. Yeah, I found out after the first period. Um, Pete just told me I'm going in and then followed by Rosie um, and then just, you know, had to get ready. Um, you know, as a goalie partner, you don't like to, to be in that situation. Um, you know, Robin's a, a massive part of our team and, you know, he's uh, he loves everyone. So it's uh, never want to see that. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy we uh, we got two points tonight. Shea Theodore thought he did a very good job. He thought Thompson did a good job. I mean, yeah, I think we just we have that next man up mentality. Um, you know, it's a coach's decision. Um, you know, he wants to shake things up, and um, that's what happened. You know, I thought I thought we came out and you know we played a little bit tighter as a unit. Um, you know, I think our game had to had to evolve, and um, you know that's just the way it's been. So I thought LT when when he went in there, he played great. Um, you know, made a lot of huge saves for our group, and you know helped us get that win. Afterwards, Pete DeBoer explained why Leonard got the start, why Leonard was pulled, and then he was asked, hey, what's the plan moving forward at goalie? We're going to enjoy this game tonight, and then we'll, you can ask me that uh, <laughs> three in the next four days before we play again. So we'll just go from there. You know, Logan came off the bench, did a hell of a job. He's done that all year for us. You know, we'll enjoy the win tonight. We got a lot of big efforts from a lot of different guys. That was a tough game to win, especially being behind early. You going to be out there the next four days to ask him uh, over and over and over again? No, I'll be out there. Well, first of all, they didn't practice today, so wasn't that wasn't <laughs> they weren't going to be out there four days. And the fourth day is Sunday, which is the game day, so they, they won't be that, that day either. I guess you can ask in the morning at uh, morning skate, but at that point you'll know because you'll know who's uh, first off the ice at morning skate. I, I think so. For the next game, who does the McCr- Mc- Foley pick? Who picks? That's the question. I think it's who's, a great who, question. Who's picking? It's a totally fair question. Does does the does, DeBoer, does the staff. McPhee, or Foley? I mean, we remember back in the back in the day they would say it's the goalie coach picking every game, which was a lie too. Um, who knows? I, I don't know who's going to make the decision. I I think that they could probably have the same kind of battles that they had in this game. Let, let's even let's go down to another level. Let's say it's the spark because I heard people say that. I heard hey, it was a spark. It was a nice spark. The team. Well, if you remember, it happened against Calgary, right? That that game against Calgary was as good as they've played in so long. They were attacking everything in front of the net on the, in their own end. They were getting it out, out of the zone. They were transitioning to offense. They were scoring goals. They looked unbelievable. They looked like a team. And I remember people were saying, I think right after the game, they were 63% to make the playoffs. People were saying, well, that's a team that's going to be dangerous. I said it. That's a team that will be dangerous in the playoffs. They got sparked. Thompson played fine. You know, didn't have a whole lot to do because the team was so good. But he came in there, and, and everybody said, see, that's why we don't want Leonard. Tom, they played better for Thompson. Look how well they played. What happened in the next game? 4 nothing loss. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. I'm always thinking about the here and the now, what we have to do now to be as well prepared as we can be for the draft. But then you also are always kind of thinking about these things that are on the peripheral about how we're going to develop scouts, all the things that we want to accomplish from May to June, how we want to organize the preseason process, all these things that you want to check off your list. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. 
Raiders Thursday should be real quiet. Dave Ziegler. Or, wait a second. GM of the Raiders, did he suggest they could actually get back into the first round? Well, it depends how you how much you read into it. One of the things he said was, you know, we understand that we don't have any first first round picks or second round picks for now. Like, whoa, whoa. Now I put emphasis on that that he didn't. Yeah. Uh, but obviously you start to listen to those things. Just like, you know, when Derek Carr has now consistently been lobbying for a Hunter Renfro contract and all that I think me and several other people that follow the team closely read from that is Darren Waller? going to start lobbying for that at some point because or are you just leaving them out on purpose so i think a lot of times you maybe read in too much to things or sometimes you don't read it enough um maybe maybe there's nothing there with you know with that but it's like he seems he keeps mentioning hunter renfro's contract when darren waller probably also deserves a new contract so i think maybe we're reading too much into it but he did say they're not picking for now in the first round the great and complete organizations in the nfl can go with a best player available can the Raiders do that in the third round, or do they have to get a right tackle candidate? Well, I mean, interesting. I think most people are saying they need a cornerback or a linebacker. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. The linebacker, no. Cornerback, okay. I think they. Well, linebacker, I think is their 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 most their biggest position of need. Um, corner yeah you still need to develop guys are they going to play linebackers or in this multiple a. in in this multiple set are there ever linebackers on the field a. or are they just all big safeties you need a linebacker at some point uh, you've got one and he's under contract for one year um so you can maybe you can find somebody and that'll be the plan in the future but um yeah i think i think those are the positions that you need to start looking at they need to get younger and they need a uh, infusion of talent at corner uh, but they do, I think they are okay with their starters right now. Uh, but you need to get a little bit better there and deeper there. And and I do think linebacker, I think defensive tackle is still probably a position of need uh, that you need. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to need to draft offensive line depth for sure. Uh, they're nowhere close to being set on the offensive line, but I don't know that you're going to find somebody in the third round that you're going to plug in right away. So I, I, I they did say best, you know, they're, they're going to look at, especially where they are now in the draft, just adding the best player they can possibly find. Versatility certainly is something that they're going to be looking for as well. Um, you know, where where can they find a guy that can help them in multiple different areas? I think there's some of those guys potentially out there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of directions they can go in, but they, they need to get offensive linemen at some point in this draft for sure. Boy, oh, boy. A lot of people thought that the uh, Grizzlies were going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs as the two seed in the West. They are down 19, 51-32, four minutes left. In the half, well, that is not good. Just looking at, uh, yeah, John Morant not having a great game so far. Just three points, but 1-1 series, and looks like the Wolves have a chance to get out to 2-1 lead. Enjoy 77-cent Bud Light bottles during Vegas Golden Knights games at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. He built at Villanova what I consider to be the best culture in the game. He always preaches attitude. His players live it. They hand it down from the older players to the younger players and mentor each other. It's trite to say it's a family atmosphere. It's more than that. It's an elite family that lives it both on and off the floor. And that's because uh, of Jay Wright. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Uh Uh-oh, the dreaded culture 
reference. I heard the morning show talking about the fact that culture doesn't matter. doesn't mean anything if you have good players. I think it does. We'll get into Jay Wright and his retirement a little more in about 15 minutes. Let's talk about culture. Let's talk a little football. Let's talk some Raiders. Let's talk some UNLV. Nick Holtz is uh, with UNLV now, moving over from the Raiders. He's the offensive coordinator. We'll see his offense out there at the spring game this Saturday. Is uh, He is up with Stephen Adam here over at Silver 7. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys doing today? We're good. We're good. I want to roll you into the conversation um, with a guy like Jay Wright walking away at 60. And just talk about how hard it is to kind of have longevity and consistency. And the coach's life is tough. Dude, I was talking about this with somebody else today. He was there 21 years, am I right? Yes, yeah, yes. I mean, 21 years anywhere is a long time, and just the uh, the grind of it all, and it kind of, you know, it's cyclical, and you're just, you know, you know, each day of the year, pretty much what you were supposed to be doing at that point, you know, because it was always on the same calendar. You know, you went from this to recruiting to everything else. You know, I think uh, he certainly earned himself uh, some nice days off, but. Yeah, it it'll it can uh, it can certainly beat you down, but when you had kind of the success he had, you know, I'm sure it keeps you going a little bit. But um, yeah, it just it does it, it is a grind. It's hard on families. It's hard on everybody. And um, you know, good for him. Good for him for going out the way he wanted to go. I, you know, most coaches don't get that uh, luxury. So I heard some people say, "Hey, you know what, Jay Wright? You know, it's just time. The college game's changing so much. People just want to move on. They just don't want to do this." So you made the interesting move. You know, you're pretty entrenched in the NFL, and you move to coach college football. Why are you embracing, you know, some of the changes now in college football? Why are you fired up to go to college football? You know, there's uh, a couple reasons. One, you know, I had a great college experience as a, you know, I was a walk-on, and I wasn't a very good player at Colorado, but I had a wonderful college experience with great coaches that really kind of helped shape who I became. And so, you know, there's always been that love for me at college football, in that regard of, you know, affecting some of these young guys at this critical stage of their lives. But then I actually think college football and pro football to an extent are becoming more similar. You know, the, I think there's this thing of the recruiting and yeah, that's different, but you know, the, the recruiting is just like a salary cap in the NFL where, you know, you're trying to get in players and bring in players. And that's really what the transfer portals become. And, you know, it's just so much more, you know, the, the NFL, the, the coaches don't have any power, and now kind of the coach, the uh, college games kind of go in the same way. You know, the the old dictator coach where all he said is, this is what goes, is, you know, that's probably going away. Well, now that you're kind of uh, around the kids a little bit more, how different do you think kids are now than, uh, you know, not that long ago when you were playing? But are kids changing? We hear that all the time. Kids are different now, are they? Uh, I don't know if they're different. I think they're more informed, you know, and I think they – all communicate with each other, but I think they're they're more informed of you know their own value, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the schools. You know, I when I was in college, you know, there was no social media, and you know, I didn't know anybody playing at uh, you know Kansas State or Cal or something like that. You know, so I think the the difference is that they're more informed in now, um, and that they've got more you know more information at their fingertips. So we one of the things we talked about when the Raiders came, uh, obviously sharing the stadium uh, is big, and uh, it's great to have an NFL venue here for uh, for the kids to play at and to be a part of. 
Uh, but there is there is kind of that I don't know how much synergy there necessarily is, but uh, there is some ability to see what an NFL program looks like and uh, for kids to kind of have that to to model themselves after. How much how much kind of is that helpful for you guys at college, especially for you to have those connections uh, with the Raiders? But uh, how much does that matter for a college program to have that NFL team around here and especially with that stadium here? Well, the stadium you know is unbelievable. I think it's got a be the best stadium in sports. You know, I, I, I've gotten to play in I think just about every NFL stadium, or got to coach in every NFL stadium. And if you find a better one than Allegiant Stadium, I'll be, uh, you're going to have a hard time convincing me it's better. But the, you know, the, I think it's such a great resource to have the Raiders here. And we're also a resource for the Raiders. You know, they can kind of come to us and say, hey, you know, did you guys see, you know, this player in the Mountain West? We were looking at him. You know, somebody you played against, and hey, what would you guys think of them? And you know, we had our uh, high school coaches clinic here, and you know, Dave Ziegler came and talked, and the uh, pass rush specialist Matt Edwards came and spoke to these coaches. So I think it's just great for everybody here to have that. You know, it is a two-way street, but it's it's a great relationship. And I think it's great for Las Vegas. You know, to really become you know the energy of football in this town. It feels like is the enthusiasm for it locally is really growing. So, you know, you are now over at UNLV, as we said, offensive coordinator. What should we expect your offense to look like? Well, I don't know if it's my, you know, I, I think calling it my offense would be uh, <laughs> would be kind. But, you know, Coach Royal still has a lot. You know, he's an offensive guy. And, you know, so we're kind of just building off of some of the stuff we've done. You know, we really want to be uh, – we really just want to challenge the defense, right? We want to make them – through, you know, formations and shifts and motions, and we want to make them kind of adjust to us, and we dictate to the defense, you know. Some offenses, they just kind of come out in the same formation every play, and they do some different stuff. You know, we really want to be multiple, and, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to this job when talking to, you know, Coach Royal was, you know, we we have, you know, kind of an NFL-style system in protections and how we get the different plays. and so That's where, you know, the relationship between him and I really kind of started to grow as we were talking about this job of, you know, he's got a background in the NFL and playing a lot of big college. So we really just want to be, you know, we want to look a lot like an NFL offense. So that's probably the long answer to say that. Spring game's coming up Saturday, 5 o'clock. Uh, the uh, scrimmage begins, 4 o'clock, doors open. It's at Allegiant. UNLV Spring Showcase, as they're calling it again, this Saturday at 5 o'clock is when they really get going, and Nick Holtz is with us, the uh, former Raiders assistant, now offensive coordinator with the Rebels. Let, let's talk about the quarterbacks, and I was watching you work with the guys this morning a little bit, which today was kind of ridiculous. I mean, uh, <laughs> trying to throw the ball. I mean, it, it is good practice because, every, you know, every once in a while you, know, you may have a game that where the you know the wind in the Mountain West is a, a living hell, but I see you working a lot with the guys on footwork and mechanics. Yeah, I think, you know, there's uh, an interesting thing going on, you know, where all these high school kids and they have all these, you know, quarterback trainers and tutors and you see them post all these videos on Twitter, but really the the base mechanics of how to play the position is, you know, you watch guys like, you know, Tom Brady and Derek Carr and, you know, Matt Stafford, and there's not a ton of extra movement in how they play, you know, but all these kids that develop these habits of, oh, I'm going to, you know, move my shoulders this way and do this and do this, and they get themselves late to all these throws. When, you know, we want to be a timing, you know, precision offense, 
you know, the quarterbacks, your your feet are your time clock. You know, they tell you where you should be in your progression. So we really hammer those things home, you know, for us. And so, like you said, though, this morning in the wind, I'm not sure there was any uh, – I'm not sure there was any footwork drills that would have helped uh, help today. We ended up still completing a few balls, which is nice, but it was the uh, the wind was no joke today. So let's talk about the return of uh, Doug Bromfield. You know, he explored, had some communication with the coaching staff, and you know now he's back after being in the portal for about seven, eight days. I'm sure you're glad to have him back. You you need depth at the position, and he, as I've I've told the audience, um, he is an incredibly toolsy guy. Oh, Doug is. Uh, Doug's as talented as they come, you know. And the crazy thing is, you know, he was in my office God, a couple weeks ago, you know, and he's still 19 years old. You know, he's, this will be his third season here. And so sometimes I think when you see a kid that's been around here for so long and he had the short COVID season and then he got hurt last year and it feels like he's been around a long time and he's still such a young kid, you know. But we are uh, we're excited to have Doug back. You know, we never wanted Doug to leave. Uh, but, you know, he's... That's kind of the college football these days. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's also anything wrong with a 19, 20-year-old kid kind of, you know, figuring out what is best for them. And sometimes you do need to step away and, you know, maybe realize what home is or, you know, those kind of things. So I don't think there's any real um, real issue with that, you know. And the players, they, they all accepted Doug back with open arms. And, and Doug's always carried himself here in, a, in the right way. So... You know, there was no no malice or, you know, any ill will from anybody. But he did, uh, and, you know, he was back out there today for his first practice in a week, and it looked like he hadn't really missed a beat. So that was great. But he is very toolsy, and he's got, he's got just about everything you'd want in a quarterback, you know, physically and mentally as he keeps growing. Yeah, I thought considering the circumstances last year with, uh, you know, almost no time with the program, Cam Friel did a really good job starting a bunch of games. Tell the audience about Cam and, and his approach. And I'll tell you, one of the things that, that I really liked, and I, I actually have the, the unique opportunity as a sideline reporter on radio for UNLV of being down there, I, I watch the quarterbacks and how they deal with adversity. And Friel, to me, as a freshman, was highly impressive in that he doesn't get emotional. I would see him talking to other players and receivers and looking them straight in the eye. Um, it was very rare for him to ever lose his cool or flip out on someone. Absolutely. You know, he's got just this kind of, he's, you know, again, he was only a freshman last year, but he's kind of got that old soul, a little bit mentality to him or, you know, personality. And he, you know, he's not a very talkative guy. You know, he's not this outward boisterous guy, but when he talks to you, he talks clear, calm, and concise. You know, he knows what he wants to say, you know, how he wants to say it. And so you kind of watch, you know, he kind of got thrown in there last year, thrown into the fire. And you just see, you know, there's a lot of guys that would have wilted under that kind of pressure and, you know, with the way the season went at times and, you know, they're in these close games and it kind of that his maturity and his ability to just kind of stay right at that same level the whole way through is really a strength of his. And, you know, he's had a great spring and he's just such, he's really kind of, you know, on the upswing as a player. Give the audience. It was great for him to get that experience. I'm sorry for cutting you off there. Uh, give the audience your impression early on here, you know, just a, a short time uh, being around the Tennessee transfer, Harrison Bailey. You know, I, I, uh, I said the other day, you know, he's a football junkie, and he might be in this uh, in the Fertitta football complex more than uh, some of the coaches here. The guy is just, he's a sponge. He loves football. He is, his enthusiasm is off the charts. You know, he's got a pretty big frame, and he throws the ball, you know, really well. 
you know, with some consistency. And so, you know, he's just, it's, you know, interesting. He was at Tennessee. He plays a true freshman. It changed systems, you know, new coaches and things like that. And a guy like that ends up, you know, ends up here. And it's, you know, it's a big get for us. And just to have this level of depth at a, you know, uh, a Mountain West team of, you know, th- you know, those guys are real deal starters for a lot of programs. And the fact that we have three of them and they're really competitive, but they're also really supportive of each other, it's made it uh, a pretty cool room to walk into. There's going to be some deep shots, right, during the scrimmage? Fans want to see the deep shots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to take the top off. we got to at least, you know, <laughs> you, you, at least we're going to set the throw deep, have the whole defense run out, and we'll check it down for 20 yards. But one way or the other, well, we're, we want to push it down the field. Everybody, you know, it's not a spring showcase if you're just throwing five-yard routes. We want to throw some deep balls, too. There you go. Well, congrats on the gig. Uh, we'll see you out on Saturday, and thanks for giving us a couple minutes. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. Nick Holtz, new offensive coordinator. Uh, Glenn Thomas, former OC, went down to Arizona State. So Holtz is in, and you know I can see him during practice, a big-time teacher. He's right there. And, and realize this, I'm not going to say it's a unique situation, because when you hire an offensive coach in Arroyo who played quarterback – He's going to be heavily involved with the quarterbacks. So they're both working with the quarterbacks. And today was just, I mean, everyone saw the wind, what it was like today for everyday life. It was just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned it could potentially be helpful at some point to, to be able to play in that. You, you don't never have to know. Do it in home games. But Adam, there was a game. You could go to Wyoming. There was a game at Sam Boyd. It's a good point at Wyoming. There was a game at Sam Boyd um, probably three years back, if not four, uh, New Mexico game, where I swear it was like a half an hour before the game. The wind kicked up to, like, 40 miles an hour. And I think it just, like, blew the entire game plan out of the water because Armani Rogers was a quarterback at the time. And I think they wanted to throw a little bit. And then they're out there, and it was like wind in the face, you know, in whatever quarters it was. They did, they had, they were just stunned by it. And New Mexico rolled them. They just could not adjust. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, weather folks who travel around the Mountain West Conference, they, they play in some unique places, man. They get nasty. There was a game at Utah State a couple of years ago. I I swear, before the game, I'm like, I'm sweating here. It's uh, 72 degrees. At the beginning of the third quarter, Jordan Love was there, and Jordan Love was thrown all over the place. Beginning of the third quarter, it's raining sideways, windy. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, and, you know, you're not going to deal with it at home, but not you never anymore. know. On the road, could happen. Could happen any time. You might not even expect that Fresno State game a couple years ago was insanity. It was ridiculous. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I don't know why I'm going back to the well on this one, but uh, we hit on the news yesterday that Netflix lost like 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of this year. And then I had seen the story that Netflix was thinking about going to commercials um, for some subscribers, which I, you know what, I don't even keep track of who has commercials and who doesn't because I'm so used to it on the streaming services that you get some commercials. Um, but now you sent over a story today about they're going to crack down on password sharing. Yeah. Like, are they, are they just trying to put themselves out of business? Uh, well, they, I mean, they, they obviously think one of the biggest reasons why they don't have more subscribers, why they're not growing, is because people are sharing, which is factual. That's true. I think Absolutely. that's some of it. No, it's a lot of it. You don't, but you don't think people are making decisions like, "Hey, this streaming service just isn't worth what it used to be worth," and now there's a lot of competition. Yeah, but it, 
but it's also because competition, people share passwords even more. So they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to share this one. I'm going to get rid of this service and share my password with this person. They're going to pay for this one, and I'll share my password with that person. You're not saying you do any of this. No, that's what I hear people do. Okay, sources. Uh, Sure. Um, So, yeah, I think think that's a huge part of it. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to accomplish what they want to accomplish. I think if they start cracking down on it, then people will then less people will get it because they're like, well, if you're going to not allow me to share, then I'm not going to get it because I the only reason I have it is because I pay for it so that I could trade with this person for Hulu or, you know, HBO Max or whatever. So if you're going to crack down on this, then we're just going to get rid of this one and only use those other services. I don't know all this information coming down now. Um, negotiations have begun at Casa de Cofield to get rid of Netflix. And I think I like it and I might miss it, but um, I might just do it for a month and see if I miss it. Well, there's a lot of stuff to watch on TV. Where yeah. am I watching all America? That's the other thing. I don't know where I watch anything. So at that point, like when I don't have it, then I'll be like, oh, crap. That's where I was watching that. Well, I used to wait for All-American to come to Netflix, but it's, it is on TV still, so I just record it. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Look at you. Old school. I well, know because you have to wait until the end of the season. I, I know you're not using a VCR, but this, this is like a 1993 tape and shows. Like well, uh, the streaming service I use has an unlimited DVR. So it's, I mean, you just set, you just click, literally click on a show and record all episodes. I think every, that's the other thing. So with Netflix, one of the reasons I still have Netflix is Seinfeld and I don't need it because I have every single episode recorded on my unlimited DVR on my streaming service. So I don't really need that for Seinfeld anymore. Um, There are some things that pop up every once in a while that I really want to watch. So I, I keep it for now, but look, I'll say Going to nineteen dollars, I was like, hmm, "Now you've really nineteen? Yeah, that's Netflix." I thought now. it was going like fifteen. Ni- Netflix is nineteen. Uh, we got a real trouble on the home front. There's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be a big negotiation over this one. It's that that might. I mean, if I had to get rid of one right now, it's probably the that's probably in the lead for the one to get rid of. Mm. Mm. Can't get rid of HBO Max. It's got winning time on it. Can't get rid of uh, like Hulu. I'm watching a show right now. Um, it's tough. Like you, if you have to make these decisions, if you are a streaming service that doesn't have like a must-watch show, you might be in trouble. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So, what do you think happened with Jay Wright? Is he one of the smart guys who's like, you know what? I have a lot of money. How about I live my life and not, you know, be Jim Beheim coaching at seventy-eight years old? No, something happened. Okay, we don't know. So either. Either something happened in his family, something happened with him, something happened where he's going to take a job in the NBA. I, I, I don't know. But th- this would not have been the transition. You don't put, like, obviously, when, unless he's just a selfish jerk, which I've never heard that to be the case, you don't put your staff in this position. You have a, a plan in place. You do it at the right time so that they can transition. You do, you know, a season and say, hey, I'm going to retire after the season so we can be a smooth transition. Um, in the middle of recruiting and getting ready for the next year to just do this suddenly, it's not something that seemed to be planned. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was something that they just kept under wrap that they knew was going to happen and they were already transitioning. Uh, I don't think so. So th- something happened. We don't know what it is, and I don't think we necessarily have to or we don't necessarily to know what, what happened, but something happened to make this, make this go down. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, one of the things we had fun with, I would almost call it loosely a bit, 
was playing Joey Gallo home runs. You notice that's been real absent from Cofield and company this season. Well, wow. What sound would we have played? Yeah. The vast sound crew just stopped collecting it, or there's just no sound to collect? There's nothing to collect. It's all strikeouts right now. Yeah, Bruce Beck, longtime New York media guy. Joey Gallo, 16 Ks and 42 at-bats, batting 111. Cameron Maben says he needs to trust the swing, but how long can the Yankees give him to straighten it out? Hometown hero Joey Gallo, it's been rough, man. I feel for him. It makes me want to sing that Joey song. Well, at least his average is up. He went one for four today. And stop joking about 111. His average is up. Thanks to Silver Sevens. Thanks to Dangerous Danny. We'll see you.